Well, good morning. Well, today we're going to begin a new series of messages, and we are uh, calling it Awake. It's a series of messages out of the book of Acts, which we'll also be studying starting today in our community groups. So it's not too late to plug into that if you're not plugged in. But we're calling it Awake because what we're looking at, as Matt said, is the church when it's working right, or really when it's awake. When it's awake to the fact that Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, is doing something in this world, and what he's doing is he's building his kingdom, and he's building his kingdom through wide-awake people and wide-awake churches. And when you come to the book of Acts, you know, I mean, you see the greatest example of that, and you see it, I think, right out of the gate. In fact, right from the very first phrase, a phrase that most of us don't pay any attention to. I'd be, like, really surprised if you've ever read through the book of Acts, if you stopped and considered this particular phrase, and yet from this phrase, he's telling us already, it's Jesus, it's his spirit, it's his kingdom, that's the program, that's the goal, that's the dream, and that's the vision, and nothing short of it. It's a weird little phrase. Let me read it to you. It just says this. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, there it is, okay? Have you ever paid attention to that, anybody, really? I mean, seriously? You've got to pay attention to it. It's God's word, right? I mean, there's not a throwaway phrase. It's not like we're going, oh, I can't wait to get to verse 3 because that's when I need to start paying attention. This is the real stuff. You've got to stop as you're reading the Bible and ask it questions like, what book and who's Theophilus, okay? What's the book? It's the book of Luke. Not a very original title, all right? I mean, the publishers today would not go for that, but back in the day, it was just like, it's the book of Luke, and it's a very, very significant book, and here's the deal. When you go to the very beginning of the book of Luke, just like we're standing right now at the very beginning of the book of Acts, you realize that this guy, Theophilus, well, Luke wrote both of these books to the same guy, and you say, well, then who's Theophilus? And honestly, I have no idea. Nobody actually knows the answer to that, and truthfully, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What matters is that Luke is telling you from the very beginning of this book of Acts that it's not a standalone book, but instead it is part of a project. In fact, it's part of one project that he completed for a guy named Theophilus, you see. And the deal is it's really one work and it's also really one story. In the book of Luke, Luke gives us the acts of Jesus as the Spirit of God comes upon him, you see. And who through his life and ministry, through his death and burial, through his resurrection from the dead, and through also his ascension into heaven, laid the foundations for and began the building of the kingdom of God. And then you go to the book of Acts. And what does he give us? He gives us the Acts of the Apostles as the Spirit of God comes upon them. And as Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, continues the program. He continues to move humanity and history toward the culmination of his kingdom. He builds his kingdom through people who are awake to his spirit and awake to his kingdom-building activities. And so Luke says in the first book, O Theophilus, and again, it's like it's the book of Luke and who's Theophilus, we don't know. But look what he says next. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus, and the next word's big, began to do and began to say. And so again, you know, I mean, if you're not just kind of trying to get your 30 minutes in or having to read your five chapters because you're reading through the Bible in a year, and I know if you started that in January, you're all done with that at this point anyway, but you've got to stop and ask what that's all about. 
I mean, what is it that Jesus did while he was here? Because Luke is talking about something related to that, and I think that most of us would just reflexively go, well, he died on the cross to save us from our sins, and he did die on the cross to save us from our sins. He lived the perfect life we haven't lived. He died the sinner's death in our place. He washed away our, you know, he did all of this. He's buried, he's raised, he's ascended. But think about that for a minute. When Jesus is on the cross, his final words are, it is what? It's finished. So that's not what he began to do that then he continued to do by his spirit through his apostles and that he continues to do through wide awake people and churches today, is it? So then you have to say, all right, well, then what was Jesus doing that he did, in fact, then continue to do by his spirit through his apostles? And he does, in fact, continue to do through people who are awake to what the spirit is doing now. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He spoke up on behalf of the oppressed. He gave a voice to the voiceless. He dealt with the injustices of his day. What Jesus Christ did is he didn't just come to people whose lives were devastated by sin and say, here's how you can be forgiven of your sin. Now, he clearly did do that, and he died on the cross to make his promise of forgiveness and eternal life absolutely secure. But what I'm saying is he also dealt with their devastated lives. He dealt with the consequences of sin in this world, and he went about undoing it. As I was thinking about this week, you know, I think that as the church, at least in the past couple decades, we've done a a fairly good job of, of pointing out sin. We've done a pretty good job of real loudly saying that, that's sin. I think we've done a reasonably effective job of standing up against sin. But what have we done to alleviate the effects of sin? Because that's our calling. That, too, is what Jesus Christ began to do. That he continued by his Spirit to do through the apostles, and he continues by his Spirit to do through us today. You see? And what did Jesus begin to teach? I mean, what is the heart of his teaching? You're like, I know this one. It is forgiveness that is found through faith alone and Christ alone. And that is clearly a big part of his teaching. That is the gospel that we are renewed in our relationship with God. We're made clean, we're washed, we're made acceptable in his sight. All of these different things happen to us as we come to faith in Christ. But it's bigger than that. It's through faith in Christ that not only are we forgiven, that not only are we made you know, new, not only are we brought into the right relationship with God, not only do we become members of his family, but we become citizens of his kingdom. What Jesus taught about is the kingdom. So Luke says in the first book, O Theophilus, no idea who that is, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, that is to say, until the day that he physically left planet Earth, until the day he ascended into heaven after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the guys that he's leaving the program to, to the apostles whom he had chosen. So you've got to follow the chronology of that. You know, Jesus lives, he dies, he's buried, he rises again from the dead, and he's going to ascend into heaven. But before he ascends into heaven, he comes and he gives these guys commands. And what are the commands? Well, the heart of them is this. I want you to go out, and by the, heart, by the power of my spirit, I want you to go out and do what I began to do. And teach what I began to teach. 
And in the doing of it, I want you to build my kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. And notice the fashion in which he comes to these men. You know, Jesus doesn't live and die and get buried and then raised from the dead and immediately ascend into heaven and then send them a note. I'm alive. You know, now get out there and do my kingdom building activity. He doesn't do that. He doesn't appear to them on like a Skype. He doesn't, you know, none of that. Jesus Christ wants these guys, and through these guys, he wants us to know something, and that is that he is risen, that he's alive. The Jesus we worship and sing about is alive. The Jesus we are to give our lives to is alive. The Jesus whose kingdom we are to be building is alive. And not only is he alive, but he is the defeater of death. He is the defeater of despair. What do we have to fear when we know that even death is defeated? So here's Christ. He's walking around on planet Earth. He is the risen Savior. He's going to leave these guys and us the kingdom-building activity, right? By His Spirit, He's going to build it through them, and He's going to continue to build it through wide-awake people today. But He wants them to know something, and He wants us to know something as well, and that is that He lives. He lives. And so Luke tells us, he says, He presented Himself alive to His disciples after his suffering, after his life, death, burial, and resurrection, but before he ascends into heaven. And then he says, by many proofs. And I think that's way cool. And then he goes on and says, appearing to them for 40 minutes. No. For 40 hours? No. He appears to them during 40 days. I don't know about you, but I've had some fairly weird 40-minute experiences in life. Really, I mean, we don't need to go into it, but seriously. It's possible to have a strange 40 minutes and maybe 40 hours, but Jesus Christ, the living living Savior, appears to these guys day upon day upon day upon, count them up, 40 days. And he says things to them like, touch me. Let's eat together. I made you breakfast. It's fish. That's kind of a bummer. But we're going to eat together, okay? Look at my scars, a sign of physical healing this man raised from the dead. Go ahead, put your finger where the nails went. Go ahead, put your hand into my side where you saw the spear go into my side. See, they knew that he was dead, guys. They saw him on the cross. They watched the Roman soldier pierce his dead body with a spear up under his ribs and into his heart. It's just in case he's still alive. That's the idea. They prepared his body for burial. They put him in the grave. They showed up the next, you know, three days later to to visit him. They knew where he was. The question was not whether he died. The question was, what are we dealing with here? And what he proves to them day after day after day after day is that what they're dealing with, what we're dealing with, is a risen Jesus. And apparently he's pretty convincing because these guys sacrificed relationships with their moms and dads or with their husband or wife or with their children or parents, with their closest and best friends, with their community, really. It was not popular to be a believer. And they sacrificed those for preaching a risen Jesus. These guys gave away their businesses in most part, okay, and a lot of their wealth. Why? Because nobody wanted to do business with them anymore for preaching a risen Jesus. 
They gave away their reputations. They became pariahs in their society for preaching a risen Jesus. They faced all kinds of persecutions and hardships gladly, for they had seen death defeated, but they faced it all for preaching a risen Jesus. They were tortured and most of them executed for preaching a risen Jesus. Jesus lives, and he wants us to know that, so he has Luke write it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he has his apostles write it down in their blood so that we don't miss that. The Christ you came to worship today, the Christ who calls you to build his very real kingdom is a very real Jesus who is really alive, and he sits on heaven's throne, and one day he'll come back and consummate fully bring the kingdom that you have the privilege by his spirit today of breaking into this sinful world of building stunning so luke tells us that he presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering but before his ascension by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the what because here it is this is the message of christ Speaking about the kingdom of God, that's the goal, that's the project, that's the dream, that's the vision, and nothing short of that. Nothing short of it. What Jesus holds before them and what he holds before us in his word by his spirit is a great big vision of a great big kingdom, which means, by the way, that the kingdom of God and the vision of Christ is bigger than just, and I use the word just carefully because this is enormously huge, but it's bigger than just the forgiveness of our sins or those of our loved ones or those of everybody who's ever been forgiven or ever will. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than just the removal of our shame. It's bigger than just God taking our lives and turning them around. It's, it's bigger than the fellowship that we have today in this life with Christ and all the enjoyments of knowing that, you know, hey, when we die, we're going to go to heaven someday and we'll be with God through faith in Jesus. It's all of those things, but it's so much more. It's more than just, you know, what Jesus has done for us in the past and, and all the enjoyments that we now have in the present because of what he's done for us in the past. Oh, no, it's the kingdom of God. It's something that's coming. It's interesting to me. I think one of the mistakes that we make as believers is we're always focused backwards. We're always thinking about, you know, the sins that Jesus has forgiven for us. We're thinking about his life and death and burial and resurrection. We're thinking about that which is finished and that which forms the foundation for the kingdom that he continues to build today. We're backwards focused. And by the way, that's all right. It's not like we need to forget what's happened. Jesus comes to us in the Lord's Supper. He breaks the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. He pours out the wine. He says, the cup, this is cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Do this in remembrance of me. So he calls us to look back, but he spends his last 40 days huddling up with his guys, proving to them that he is really alive and focusing them on the kingdom. He's orienting them to the future and he's calling them to build a kingdom that will culminate when he returns. And his vision is that of a place where there is no more hunger and where there is no more sickness, and where there is no more pain and war and suffering and divorce, where there is no more separation and sin and death and disillusionment, when there is no more of all of the crud that fills this world as a result of the sin 
of all of us. That's the vision. That's the mission. And he spends his 40 days orienting these guys toward that and calling them to come to understand that they have the opportunity, indeed the privilege in this life, by his spirit to invest their families, to invest their businesses, to invest their reputations, to invest their bank accounts, to invest all of their gifts and abilities, to invest everything that they are and everything that they have in the building of a kingdom that will outlast their last breath. And that in the end is meaningful and significant. Indeed, the only thing that is meaningful and significant in the final analysis. Jesus is about building his kingdom, and he builds his kingdom through his apostles, as we'll see as we study this book of Acts. But he builds his kingdom today, too, through people who are awake to his spirit, who are filled with his spirit, and who are aware that they've been called to be kingdom builders. And how do we do it? Well, by doing what Jesus began to do, selfless acts of mercy, dealing with the effects of sin and the curse, and by teaching what Jesus began to teach, the gospel, salvation through him, membership in the great big kingdom that the risen Savior will one day bring. So anyway, Jesus huddles his guys, you know, and he proves to them he's alive. And then he captures their hearts with a vision of the place that all of us in the very depths of our hearts are longing for, that place where there's no more strife, where there are no more issues. And he says, you guys are going to carry the ball from here. And so what you're kind of expecting, I mean, if you don't know the passage, what you're kind of expecting is that what they're now going to do, or what Jesus is now going to do, is he's going to, you know, kind of blow the bugle, da -da -da -da, and then he's going to say, charge, you know, and they're going to run out and start building the kingdom. But he doesn't do that. He does something completely different than that, that speaks to the importance of the Holy Spirit. It says, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart. Don't run out and try to do this. Don't leave Jerusalem, but instead... To wait. To wait for the Holy Spirit, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he says, not many days from now. You know, it's kind of like he's going, guys, uh, you've seen me, death is defeated. You realize that there's nothing ultimately that any man or anyone can take from you. They can't even take away your life, for I am your life. So risk it all. You've been captured by this grand vision. I know you're jacked up and excited about it. You're chomping at the bit now, you're ready to go. But don't make, don't make a move until the Holy Spirit comes. You know, when you run through the New Testament and you just, I just did this in my head, quite frankly, and made a list, you know, all the things that are just actually some of the things that the Holy Spirit does, some of the things the Holy Spirit brings, you begin to understand why he's saying, look, don't even try this. Okay, just, you need the Spirit. The Spirit, for example, makes us alive spiritually, all right? So now we're going to go out and we're going to build the kingdom by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, by speaking the love language of God, which is mercy to the world, you know? By preaching the message of Christ and of how to become a member of this kingdom, we're going to go out and do that on our own. 
No, we can't. Because only the Spirit can give life. You have faith here today, it's because the Spirit of God brought you to life out of death and gave you the very faith by which you embraced Jesus Christ. If we go out on our own and try to build the kingdom of God, we're going nowhere. But if we go in the power of the Spirit, well, it's a completely different ballgame. The Spirit of God convicts of sin and unbelief. The best we can do is make people feel bad. You know, I mean, seriously. True conviction comes from Him. True reproof comes from Him. True understanding of our fallenness and of our need for a Savior, of our sinfulness, that all comes from Him. He does it. But it gives you the privilege of delivering the message if you go forward in the power of His Spirit. The Spirit sanctifies and makes us holy. It is by the Spirit, not by our own efforts, that we are able to die more and more unto sin and to live more and more unto righteousness, as the confession states. The Spirit inspires and empowers our obedience. You know, I mean, like we can be obedient for about 13 seconds, I think, maybe, in our own strength. Maybe. Maybe. The Spirit gives each one of us the very gifts that we're to use for the building of His kingdom. The Spirit calls forth and directs our lives and His church, and oh, will you see that in the book of Acts as you study it. The Spirit guides into all truth. He takes, Jesus says, He takes what belongs to me, says Christ, and He declares it to you. He speaks to the hearts and souls of men and women and children. The teacher is the helper, or the, the spirit is the helper. He is the teacher. He is the comforter. He's the one who makes the spiritually blind see and the spiritually deaf hear and the spiritually mute. Not just speak, but sing. He builds within us the character of our Lord, which the New Testament refers to quite poignantly as the fruit of the spirit. It's love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Things that we cannot manufacture in our own hearts and minds. That's what the Spirit does. Jesus makes this unbelievably startling statement. He says to his guys, and like you just, it's counterintuitive. You just wouldn't expect it. He says, guys, look, it's, it will be better for me to leave. Because when I go, I am going to send to you the Holy Spirit. Now, we are Presbyterians, and it's like we are scared of the Holy Spirit. You know, if he shows up, we're not sure what to do. It's like, uh, this could get strange. We talk a lot about the Son. We talk a lot about the Father. We're real comfortable in that arena. And yet, who is it that is building the kingdom in this world? Who is it that changes the hearts and lives of men? Who is it that takes the Son and lifts him up and then draws all men to him? to the praise and glory of the Father. It is the Holy Spirit. We are going nowhere without the Holy Spirit. You have to ask yourself as you look at your life and at this church and at what you're called to, when's the last time you cried out to be filled with the Spirit? The building of the kingdom is the work of Jesus and he does it by his Spirit and he does it through churches and through people who are awake to his spirit and to his kingdom-building activities. And so Luke goes on. He says, While staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John 
baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And these guys, then they got really excited. It says when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's kind of a long explanation, but in essence, what they're saying is, hey, you've promised to pour the Holy Spirit. I mean, is the Spirit just going to pour down on planet Earth? And is now going to be the time when, you know, there's no more hunger and there's no more sickness and there's no more injustice and there's no more oppression and there's no more sin and death and war and separation and divorce and distress and strife, when there's no more gossip and there's no more crud in this world, when there's no longer anything that makes me long for anything else because I've realized the fullness of all that I've been longing for. Are you now, because you're saying you're going to pour out the Spirit, going to bring the kingdom? And I love the answer to Jesus, or of Jesus. It's, it's the answer that calls us to faith. That's the walk we're on. He just says, it's not for you to know. Do you love that? I have that conversation with my kids. You need to go to bed. Now, can I do it? No, you need to go. I was doing it last night. And finally, I just said, look, we're done. That's it. You're going to have to trust me as your dad. You stayed up to 11 last night. Like you're, you're freaking out right now because you're so tired. Just Really? And what is our dad saying? He's saying, trust me. I'm going to bring the kingdom when I'm going to bring the kingdom. And that's not your business. Your business, build the kingdom by my spirit. Your business, wake up to the fact that there is a big eternal kingdom to be built and start building that one. And that will infuse your life with meaning and significance. So he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you, he's coming right back to build the kingdom, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here guys, is how the kingdom is built. He says, and you will be my witnesses. But witnesses to what? Witnesses to what Jesus began to do. You and I, as believers, are called to be the instrument of God's blessing in the world. We are called to go out into the world and speak his love language of mercy. We are called to selfless acts of mercy. We are called by the way that we live, by the priorities that we establish, to undo the practical outworkings of sin in this world and in in the doing of it, to break heaven in, to give a glimpse of heaven. To show the world just a small snapshot of the great and glorious kingdom that is coming. We're to be witnesses to what Jesus began to do and to what Jesus began to teach. And the two are inseparable. We must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Must. But understand, it's by coming to faith in Jesus. Not just that your sins are forgiven, not just that, you know, not, not just, and I say just, not just, and I say that carefully. But it's by coming to faith in Christ also that you are called to be a kingdom builder. That you are called not just to look back, but to look forward and to be a part of what's coming. So Jesus says to them, look, it's not for you guys to know the time or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. That's his business, your business, build the kingdom. 
and do it by the Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to what I began to do, to what I began to say where. It's three circles. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What we say at Rio is, in my world, and each one of us has our own little world, all the people with whom we work, live, and play, that we have unique access to, you know, and we're to be witnesses in that world. In our world, collectively, as a body, that's Fort Lauderdale, that's South Florida, and in the world beyond our borders, in the great big world in which we live. So anyway, that's it, you know, and then you get to the end and say, okay, well, what's the bottom line of all this? Like, if I wasn't clear, just what is it? What is Jesus calling us to do? I think he's calling us to wake up. I mean, that's kind of it. To wake up to the fact that we belong, serve, sing to a living Christ. And that is the difference between him and everyone else. A living Jesus who has trampled death under his feet and then all of the implications of that, which is transformational. The imagination these men developed having seen a living Jesus is stunning. They imagined the whore becoming a virgin. That's transformational. They imagined the thief stopping to steal and then becoming generous. That's transformational. They imagined a transformed world. And they were free from the fear of death. They marched into the very courtyards of the men who had crucified Christ. Not long after they did it, preaching a risen Jesus. We serve that Jesus. And we need to wake up to that. Secondly, we need to wake up to the great big beautiful vision that Christ holds before us of the kingdom and stop spending our lives primarily looking backwards and start spending our lives primarily looking forward and building in a kingdom that actually matters. Breaking heaven into earth every chance we get in our little worlds, in our world here in Fort Lauderdale and in the world at large. And we need to wake up that by his spirit, that is in fact what he desires to do in us, we have the privilege of taking our families and taking our businesses and taking, you know, our reputations, our bank accounts, our gifts, abilities, our little world, if you will, our little stories, our little life, and investing them in the great kingdom of the God that we came here today, I hope, to worship and to serve. Wow. Listen, if you can find a better investment than that, do it. But if you can't, then do what we've been talking about here for weeks. Find your thing. That which God has positioned you all of your life for you now to do in service and in the building of his kingdom. And we need to wake up to the fact that we need the Holy Spirit to do it. And if you're kind of a type A personality, uh, self-reliant guy like me, that's oftentimes the most difficult part of the equation. This is not something we are smart enough to do. It's not something we're persuasive enough to do. It's not something we have any, frankly, power at all to do or to get done. Praise the Lord, because when it happens, we'll know that we've seen him at work. It's his spirit 
that we need to empower us to be witnesses in our little worlds, in our world collectively, meaning this city, and in the world beyond our borders. We need the Holy Spirit. So the bottom line, I guess, is that Jesus is building his kingdom, and he's building his kingdom by his Spirit through wide-awake people. And the question we'll be dealing with each week as we gather around this idea is, you know, I mean, is that me? Is that you? And is that us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, We thank you for calling us to be members of your kingdom. God, we praise you and we worship you for all that you've done for us in the past, the forgiveness of our sins, the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Christ, the ascension of, of heaven, the assumption of the throne, the sending of the Spirit. We praise you for all of those things and all of the peace and the joy, all of the enjoyments that are ours in this day, in this moment, through faith in Christ and the realization of all those things that have occurred in the past. But God, I pray that in grace you would orient us now toward the future, that you would capture our minds, our hearts, our imaginations with a vision of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That by your spirit that you would empower us to be witnesses to what our Lord began to do, to what these faithful men by the spirit began also and continued to do through what men and women who have been awake to your spirit for thousands of years now have done And help us to now take the baton and faithfully move it forward. Make us witnesses of what our Lord did, selfless acts of mercy, the undoing of the effects of sin in this world, and make us witnesses of what he taught. Not only salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but also having come to that salvation, membership in a coming kingdom, that we're called to build. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name.